0: Yeah. Well, you know what i find is that people are taking their dogs with them everywhere these days there's people who just they can't leave their dogs like at home or something you just like yeah, they're into yeah. like stores and i've been at like supermarkets where the somebody will come up to them like the manager or something so i'm sorry but we can't have dogs in the supermarket it's a health code violation and blah 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 and then people get upset about that so most i think a lot of these people just have like they're called service dogs <laughs> he helps with my anxiety yeah. my little pomeranian yeah.
1: And those dogs need to be completely like labeled, so therefore no one goes up and pets them or touches them or asks the person. I mean,
0: we met somebody at VidCon that had a chinchilla was their service animal. animal. Yes, support animal.
1: Support chinchilla. (laughs) I remember in the '80s where when you would go to a shopping mall, they would be like, if you don't wear shoes, if you're not wearing pants, or if you have any kind of pet especially dogs you're not allowed in the mall and then there was like a brief time where the odd person would like bring their uh, dog in in one of those like dog uh, carriages or whatever to you know and, and you would look and be like wow someone brought their dog to the but now you go to a mall and everybody's just there with their dog you no know, like the stickers aren't the on the window is that the same in California Steve I I, I do you remember the time where yeah. like they're you didn't bring a dog well no
0: that's a fairly recent thing as people are becoming more and more uh treating their dogs more and more like children even calling them their you know their fur babies but almost almost in a more literal sense so it's kind of a it's a strange phenomenon i think that's happened within the last decade or so
2: you guys neither of you guys have pets
0: i've cats cats I have a cat uh, you, too. You're cat people. I get.
1: You're either a cat person or like. Well, I like people. dogs
0: a lot, but it's just a dog requires a lot more attention and effort to deal with. A cat is pretty self-sufficient. We can go away for a few days, and they they'll be fine. What about you,
1: JJ?
2: Do you I? just a... dislike all animals. Honestly, it's like I'm very. Uh, I've always, My parents actually had a sort of like weird hang-up about this that I feel like I've. Uh, absorbed like they for some reason really thought that like pet ownership is like a real sort of white trash kind of thing and so there was always like a lot of judgment towards people that had pets in my household growing up and so I feel like I've kind of absorbed that and I just like find other people's pets just very annoying and obnoxious and the way that like people Mm -hmm. project all these human characteristics onto animals and I feel like just animals are just very primitive creatures right and like like we just imagine that they have a capacity so for so much more than they I think they actually do like if you could just I often think about this like if you could just see the world through the eyes of an animal and just like begin from the premise of just like how blurry and distorted their vision is and the idea that like you know people project oh like he knows that I've you know it's just it's 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 a bit it's a bit ludicrous I think that
0: we do project on them human values we think that our pets like really love us in a way that humans can love each other and it's It's not really the same because they operate on such an instinctive level. Everything they do is really kind of, I mean, really, they're just motivated by food more than anything. I mean, it's all they want. But I don't really think that pets experience like a full range of emotions the way people do. You know, I don't think they're going to experience like envy and, and, you know, they're not going to be really vindictive. They're not going to hate. They're not going to love. I think that they just kind of, they exist but we project these on them especially with dogs and cats because they've been so domesticated mm. that they they know how to work humans and you know that's just part of their traits is being friendly letting them allowing themselves to be pet
1: I like how cats at least come by it honestly though. Like cats just hate you and you're like living with a roommate. Dogs <laughs> really make it seem like, they'll sit outside the door endlessly and wait for you for the, vi- I heard that like will just eat your eyeballs after
0: you're dead. Oh, if, you aren't, if you aren't
1: discovered quick <laughs> enough, your they cat's going to eat you.
0: They don't give a fuck so about it. Yeah, yes, <laughs>
1: so as much as you're defending, you know, oh, this you know, sparkles can hear my voice. Yeah, but sparkles will eat your eyes. Well, it's it's
2: it's, it's it's, It's true, and it's like uh, the degree to which so much of this behavior that we read as affection is just like an evolved behavior because yes, they know that if they behave in a certain way that based on their sort of codependent relationship with humans, this insur- ensures their survival and ensures their sort of yeah. steady supply of food. It's in the same way that, you know, like the uh, like an insect or whatever that looks like a stick or, you know, a chameleon or whatever. Like they don't have those skills because they're like very clever animals who have like thought this up. It's like, oh, this is how <laughs> I can evade predators it's like no it's like a very gradually evolved behavior it's not a product of like a conscious sort of thoughtfulness right they're not developing a relationship with their human the way that you know humans develop relationships with each other it's just that like over time they've evolved a certain behavior that if they like you know pant and you know smile or whatever in a certain way they know that that triggers us and that gives them the treat or whatever and then yeah the second that relationship (laughs) dries up they'll eat our corpse and
0: that's just how it is I remember eating at, the, I think it was the Shake Shack in New York one time, and the guy I was with, because there was a lot of mice around there, and the, but they were like super friendly and cute mice, and the guy said, yeah, oh, that's yes. just, they've kind of evolved that way over the years that they know that people are going to give them little scraps of food, because you can eat outside there, you know, and they, they'll just like walk up to your foot and ask for food, and it's just, it's really cute, but they, <laughs> they're not yeah. like normal mice.
1: Yeah, Have you ever thought sure. of like a bird or something though? Some fish, something that would just be like set it and forget it? Or I don't just,
0: know. Oh. It's like I find it like I'm so like I'm. You a need like a tarantula. Right? I think a tarantula, oh, tarantula would be a good pet for you.
2: I, so I don't I don't eat meat right and and it's like yeah. people sometimes find this kind of like weirdly inconsistent that like I'm kind of anti-animal but then I also don't eat animals but <laughs> and but I find that that's kind of like morally consistent like I feel like they're kind of like lesser creatures and that as a result we should not subject them to cruelty because like as the superior sure. species, you know we have you know, a kind of moral obligation to not, you know, sort of lord it over them in that kind of way. And so I find, like, independent of, I think, like, pet ownership is is kind of overrated. I do find I have a bit of a sort of ethical problem with it as well. Like, the idea of just, like, capturing an animal and subjecting it to a kind of imprisonment for our own amusement, I just find to be a little bit distasteful, regardless of what the animal is. Like, I think, obviously, it can take you know if you live on the sort of the stereotypical giant farm and the dog has lots of space to run a like that's obviously i think the most morally defensible form of pet ownership but i think that actually like fish and like bird ownership is in some ways some of the most cruel because you're keeping them in very confined yeah. spaces mm-hmm. that are so obviously unnatural right
0: i think you you align with PETA. <laughs> they, believe, they, they, they also don't really believe in pet ownership but the problem with
2: PETA extent. is that they are really really far down like the anthropomorphic sort of uh, line of thinking y- well, as yeah. well like, they think, like, oh, it's, it's my friend, and that these are, like, my companions, yeah. and they have, like, all of the same sort of human emotions and feelings as a man does, and that they are no meaningful distinctions. So it's, it's, it's rare that you find somebody that sort of uh, is in my kind of space when it comes to attitudes towards animals. It's like being sort of, like, dismissive of them and, like, understanding that they're a lower f- order of being, but then also not, uh, you know, wanting to uh, sort of subject them to cruelty or, or kill them.
1: I I realized that when my cat every single morning wakes up, and asks for food. Like she's never been fed ever before. <laughs> and I've never, like for 14 years, we haven't done this exact same routine every single morning. Yes. And I remember reading somewhere, it's like cats literally will eat a meal and it's like, we'll eat all of it. And they do not think about what the net, like us, we finish a tasty dinner and we think, yes. about, oh, breakfast tomorrow. A cat does not think that. Like, cat yes. has food in front. And as soon as that food's gone, the morning after when it's hungry, it's at my door.
0: Uh, unless, of course, I'm dead, and then it's eating my eyes. <laughs> <laughs> It'd be easier, but you know, I, I kind of think a lot of this boils down to the fact that humans, at least as far as I'm aware, are the only creatures who are aware of our own mortality. So I don't think any animal really understands that they're going to die. They don't mm-hmm. have this this thought of the future and making plans and what it's everything is just in the moment. I think other than humans,
2: yeah, no, I, I think that's right, and I think that everything else is just us sort of projecting our own sort of human instincts onto animal behavior you know actually i, I watch watch weirdly enough and i maybe i'm sort of a hypocrite on this because I, I sometimes watch those do you know the channel i think it's called the dodo and they do like sort of like uplifting inspirational animal videos and <laughs> like it's it's a lot of times like it's very emotionally manipulative like it's like they find like you know a, a sheep that has been ignored for years and oh, his fur is all yes. and it's really disgusting and then they shear him and then the sheep you know is is Trappy. happy quote unquote but <laughs> yeah. I mean like at the same time it's like and it's like people in the comments like on some level I, I it's it's kind of like a guilty pleasure because I, I I do like when things make other people happy and so some it's kind of like fun to read the comments and they're like oh you could see the love in his eyes that sheep will never forgive, forget this magical moment and I saw one the other day where it's like a bald eagle was being rescued who was drowning and it was like nice the bald eagle is obviously being saved and then the comments were like oh that that mama bald eagle she's gonna remember this for the rest of her life and it's just like animals just don't work that way like that's such a preposterous thing to say but I mean if it brings joy to people's lives I guess yeah you can believe that and I mean obviously pet ownership it brings a lot of happiness to people, so you know, in some sort of calculus, I suppose you have to make is the suffering, quote unquote, that the animal experiences as a result of being a pet, you know, sort of eclipsed by the joy it brings to the human. And you know, I think probably there are cases where that equation works in the human's favor.
1: We did a we did a, a sponsored thing with Dawn, and they did a whole thing with. Um, an animal rescue in, I think it was San Diego or something like, somewhere in California. And a whole bunch of influencers were flown out to show kind of how um, how this association works, how they take uh, um, seagulls or other kind of wildlife that is uh, uh, found on the beach they are the ones that get called they go and they help these things out and da da and then they release them back into the wild so we got to see the hospital that they had and an actor named Ian Summerholder was there he was the guy from the Vampire Diaries or something who was popular a little while back and he's a huge animal guy and da 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 so they they were showing all these things and we were trying to like film all of it and then the wrap-up to the whole event was them releasing one of the uh, one of these big wild birds that they you know had been in the hospital or whatever for like two months and they all get out and they had the big thing and they had the cage and everybody's lined up and all the influencers have their phone they open up the thing and the bird came out and attacked the person who opened the door (laughs) 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 and it was it was and the person was like yeah no this is kind of normal sometimes But we all had this, this moment. We're all going to have this content where we see the, and the bird will go back and turn around and there'll be a tear in its eye well, flies away and then attacks the person opening the gate. Oh, that's amazing. No, it's, it's true.
2: We can't, we can't turn our back on these, on these animals for one moment.
0: (laughs) JJ, I really enjoyed your most recent video. I just watched it last night. Yes. 30 minutes long. It was a long video, but it didn't feel oh, long. Yeah. Because, and I thought, so you did. So what this was was he went through all fifty states, U.S. states. I have to. I don't know. why I have to say U.S. states. I think we know U.S. Yeah, states, it was in Brazilian states. Yeah. Since, <laughs> you're, <laughs> since you're in Canada, I don't know. Yeah. But uh, and did the like the the most popular tourism videos Ads. for those states and rated those. And oh my god, I, I at first I thought, oh, how's he going to pull this off? Do all fifty of these and keep this interesting? But was fast paced, and I I gotta say, I think it's one of your funniest videos you've <laughs> I'm ever glad done. You thought so. I was literally laughing out loud. <laughs> that video was just such a
2: such a chore to make. It just I was you know working on it for so long. I mean the fifty videos, like it, you think, oh this isn't going to be so bad, but you know watching them, editing them, clipping them, all of the rest of it. But it was it was an interesting exercise. You know, I, initially my premise was. That it was going to be the 50 most watched videos in the sense that this would reflect something organic about how, uh, like, what kind of videos were most popular with the general public. But then very quickly I realized that, you know, the most popular videos on a tourism uh, channel are basically just uh, the ones that have been sort of promoted the most inorganically, like the ones that the tourism board has paid to show as B-roll, you know, or sorry, to show as pre-roll before other YouTube videos. And initially I didn't realize that 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 sort of thing counts as view count for videos, like that an ad ad video that is shown in a pre-roll will, every time it's viewed, you know, it will get a, a legitimate view that way. So this explains why you can sometimes, when you visit these sort of tourism channels, they'll have videos that have like, you know, three, five, 10 million views, but then like zero comments and like zero engagement mm-hmm. of any sort. So as a result, it, the project wound up being sort of less a reflection of what the public is interested in and more a reflection of like what the tourism boards themselves think is their most compelling pitch to the public and thus worth spending money on, right?
0: It's all but about fishing.
2: Fishing. Yeah, yeah,
0: man. So, uh, you know, so w- what I found interesting was, and I th- is how many of these are pretty much identical. Every mm. state has the exact same drone shot flying over their pristine forests and people <laughs> fishing and running in slow motion along a beach or whatever. And it's just like you could just plop any one of those tourist board videos down and it would apply to any state. And I, I kind of yes. wonder if a lot of times those aren't really made by people who like in the state watch it and they go, yeah, isn't that great? Look at all the stuff we have here, but th- they don't really think of it as being a video made for to draw people in, even though that's what it's for is a tourist board kind mm. of thing, because nobody's gonna look at that and say, wow, I really wanna go to Nebraska because they've got trees.
2: <laughs> no, it's and, and somebody in the comments actually, I think made a good observation who had been sort of involved in in, in sort of this side of things where he sort of said that a lot of times these are these types of videos are very subject to sort of like political meddling And like the sort of political, the heavily like sort of politicized committees that like approve them or sort of set out the guidelines. It's often like, well, we need the video to show the full scope of Nebraska. Like we don't want to fixate just on or it's like, you know, like South Dakota, I think is a classic one. Like South Dakota has one tourist attraction, which is Mount Rushmore. And everybody knows that Mount Rushmore has been keeping that state in in the green for a long time. But then, you know, in the in the tourism board ad, you're right. It's like, oh, we also have shopping and fine restaurants and go for hikes and fishing and waterboarding and all this other kind of stuff. And it's like, obviously no one's going to the state for those things. But, you know, you can imagine that the politicians at the North uh, Dakota or sort of the South Dakota Tourism Board were sort of like, well, we need our we need, you know, the video to sort of show the diversity of our state and its That's richness it. and its depth, yeah. right? And so it yeah, as a result, like paradoxically they all wind up being the same. Like it's, it's very much against sort of the economic theory of like competitive advantage where it's like, if you have something that nothing else that nowhere else has you have to lean hard into that distinction mm-hmm. it might sort of feel unbecoming or undignified or, or make you sort of feel subordinate in some way but like from a sheer economic perspective that's the most rational thing you can do
0: I think your solution for South Dakota was brilliant. I would have loved to have seen that your idea was to just take, just lean into the whole Mount Rushmore thing and, and take all of these people who are having the picnics in the park and walking along the the paths and everything, but always have Mount Rushmore in the background.
2: Yeah. yeah so it's kind of like, well, we can't, we can't get away from it. So we may as well sort of lean into it. And And yeah. I think that the the ads that I profiled that were the most successful were ones that leaned into something very specific, like the Alabama ad, you know, leans into barbecue. Mm-hmm. The Mississippi ad leans mm-hmm. into the idea of uh, sort of civil rights history. The uh, the Nebraska one, actually, I thought uh, I liked quite a lot. The one that leads leans into the idea of just uh, riding down the river in the big metal tub, in those which big is, metal tubs, yeah, <laughs> yeah. So it's because that is kind to, of a
0: thing that you think. Well, that would be a unique thing to that state, probably yeah. that they want. To, I liked the. The the California one sort of got a pass. I was kind of happy for that. It wasn't too, it was, it seemed kind of Hollywoodish, very well-produced kind of video.
2: It was very, very, like, I think I described it as being very vibey, right? Which is like, and I think like, you know, in some states like California is kind of a vibe. Like you go to California to experience the California sort of atmosphere, right? Mm
0: -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. What are they going to put in a video that you don't already know? You know, okay, yeah, there's Hollywood you could go to, you could go to the Sierra, whatever. So
1: you you got to be running so if you if you have to think of five things for your state or city or whatever it is to put into a commercial to talk about like people coming there and appealing to them i feel that if shopping and dining are two of those things, <laughs> then you have nothing else to talk about, right? Because <laughs> every I state has that. I live in such a small like I mean I live just outside of Toronto, but the the little town I actually live in is fifty six hundred people that live within it. And there's a downtown core of right now at least, literally just one intersection. That's where kind of everything <laughs> happens. Downtown. Where the downtown core. <laughs> if you don't go
0: there anymore, people get stabbed.
1: <laughs> so <laughs> <laughs> it's yeah, you did yeah. So uh, on the street lights, they always hang little banners for whatever. It's like oh hey, if it's the Christmas time, they hang little Christmas banners. But during the summer, they're just trying to get people to come to the thing. So they had these little banners, and they were like, "Place where I live," name of the place where I live, "A place to shop, eat, and and like." live or something yes, like yes, that yes. and it was the three most generic like i would go <laughs> anywhere and expect a restaurant and like somewhere to buy a thing <laughs> we have a place shopping to eat. Is, is like i should come to nebraska for your shopping are you kidding me
2: <laughs> so the, the other thing i've realized as well is just that like you know at the end of the day this continent is fairly empty right like there is a lot of empty wilderness in this continent. So as a result, like being able to drive a few miles out of a city and go for a hike is not a particularly remarkable thing. And I think that a lot of us are very sheltered for some weird reason when it comes to that. Like I find that like all across uh, this continent, like a lot of us think that we're living uniquely close to nature. And that like we have a unique accessibility of, of being able to hike and camp and fish and, you know, even go to the beach. And that like we think of these things as being like great assets of our very unique province or state that is sort of like uniquely at home in the wilderness and I've just watching all these ads just kind of made me realize that no like literally every single part of this continent has access to forests with hiking trails and places where you can go zip lining and uh, you know attend the beach or go you know sailing or whatever like it's not a special thing so it's no.
1: It's, oh, uh, you can go boating? You can d- pitch a tent in your state? Yeah, My
0: goodness. <laughs> oh god, the fishing. How many of them leaned into fishing? Oh, and really, yeah, how yeah. many people fish? It's gotta, <laughs> to me, that's like gotta be just a, the most boring activity ever. It's certainly not something that's gonna make me want to pick up and take a trip to Iowa. <laughs> I take it all three of us aren't, don't fish at all. No. I
1: have zero interest in I find <laughs> no. it the most boring thing
0: ever. Oh, yes. Also I, cruel.
2: It is cruel. I mean, it's it's basically torturing fish for for fun. Um, I, uh, I when I was young, I had I was friends with these two brothers, and their father was a big sort of outdoorsman, you know, into hunting and fishing, and he would sometimes take us kids on fishing trips, and yeah, it was just the most pointless boring thing ever and that's the thing it's like it's such a like niche hobby and i suspect it's probably only become more niche as the years have gone on and sort of you know the kind of middle class uh, middle-aged dads have kind of drifted away from a once kind of sort of stereotypical hobby as they've developed more interesting things to do with their time but in the course of making that video i i did realize and learn that like within sort of the tourism industry, marketing yourself on the basis of being a fisherman's paradise is seen as a very sort of like lowbrow and impressive thing to do. Because again, like on this continent, basically everywhere has access to decent fishing. Like so, yeah. if you're saying that it's yeah, it's it's no better than saying we have shopping and restaurants and dining.
1: Yeah, yeah. Like, golfing is the same thing. It's like everybody has golf courses. I get it. Like yeah, but, yeah. can I put you on the spot for one mm. quick second? And I want you to make a, a a tourist ad for Vancouver, but just give me your three points that you would include if you were to make or whatever three or four. But like, what if you were to do for Vancouver? What would you put in for Vancouver to bring people there?
2: Oh, that's a good question. Um, <clears throat> I mean, definitely, like what I like doing in Vancouver is just walking by the water. Like we have this thing called the Seawall, which I don't know how unimpressive this might be by the standards of other of other cities. But it's like, you know, Vancouver is right on the coast, the Pacific coast. And we have a sort of like long and impressive kind of like paved trail that goes around the sort of the perimeter of the city. So Vancouver is kind of like on a peninsula. So basically, like, you can walk the perimeter of the peninsula, and it only takes, like, maybe two hours to do the whole thing. But while you're walking that that trail, that paved trail, and it's also popular with bike riders and stuff, you get to see the mountains and sort of the woods from afar. You get to be very close to the water. And so I think it's very, very beautiful, very sort of scenic. So I feel like I would I would probably lean into that. Like, whenever people come, I love to take them on that particular walk. But, like other things <laughs> I mean I guess you can go to the mountains like a lot of people like going to the mountains like I mean in when it's ski season like going skiing I mean I think is something that not everywhere has so that's probably something pretty pretty unique and pretty distinctive but again it's very seasonal and and again like skiing is also not for everybody so
0: um what promote the, the, the filmmaking get some because the filmmaking industry is huge up there it's North Angeles yeah but the
2: filmmaking like <clears throat> I think that here like real real locals in Vancouver I think feel, regard the film industry as something that's mostly an annoyance right like it's just something that blocks off streets and prevents you from you know being able to Go where you want to go in a sort of timely way. They have these. Oh, here's here's my biggest sort of pet peeve: is they have these these giant sort of luxurious um, catering trailers that have all this wonderful food laid out, and it looks like it's just there for the taking. But of course, you can't get it because it's just for the big shots only. So you're constantly like being forced to like walk past these like tempting buffets that are just set up in the middle of the street with all these good <laughs> you treats and you stuff. Need the, and you need just, the pink
0: wristband. You yeah, precisely.
2: Right. So I, I I know the film industry is just a constant
1: source of annoyance and, and irritation in Vancouver. It's not something that I would, uh, I would lean into are the people in Vancouver a good representation of what people think Canadians are like, or is Vancouver- Or even st- British Columbia. Well, I don't know because like, this is another sort
2: of thing. So I've made I've made a, a couple of videos based on the premise of like your city isn't unique and how like a lot of people in a lot of cities imagine things that are very universal to be distinct sort of dysfunctions or assets of their particular city. And one thing that I'm kind of unclear about is sort of like Vancouver has within the Vancouver community, sort of has a reputation as being a city of very cold people, unfriendly people. It's very hard to make friends here. People are sort of cliquey and catty and you know, this sort of thing. And I don't know to what extent that actually is something that Vancouver has worse than anywhere else but it's definitely something that we believe we have quite bad and so in that sense like i would not never say to somebody who moves to vancouver it's like oh you'll be like blown away by how friendly yeah, and generous so. the people here are right like, I, I was actually, <clears throat> here's, a, here's an interesting thing. I've actually been thinking of making a video about uh, critical things of Vancouver, not because like I'm inherently critical person, but just because I've recently learned that this is a weird subculture of video on YouTube, largely made by real estate agents who make these videos that's called like 10 things to know before you move to Milwaukee or, you know, Bismarck or, you know, Tampa <laughs> Bay or whatever. Like literally any city you can think of, there's some real estate guy who's made a video like 10 things to be aware of before you move here or 10 like worse things about living here and it's a kind of somewhat uh somewhat interesting format but uh anyway i was watching one from from minneapolis the other day And Minneapolis, Minnesota in general, is a state that is known for being friendly, right? Minnesota nice is a whole sort of cliche. And then in the video, he was saying like, actually, that's not true. Minnesota nice, more like Minnesota ice. The people are so cold here and that kind of thing. And so then I was thinking like, if even Minnesota has this reputation for itself, maybe people in general are just kind of mean. (laughs) Like maybe that's just life, you know, that people aren't overly social to strangers
0: this is just, I think it's true with, it's weird how these things come about, how they're like, there's friendly cities and cold cities, because it, it all depends upon your own personal experience. I always kind of equate this to, to driving. Everybody will say like, even out here, they'd be like, well, the drivers out in Oakland, those are those are the worst drivers. But right. over in the North Bay, they drive much better. Or And it's like, no, those are like the same people just driving. And I think our experiences <laughs> with driving just happen to be whenever we spot that one guy who made a mistake. And that one guy was probably you at one time time because mm. you made that mistake driving we've all done it and then everybody around you is going look at that guy what a driver like that how, how can he have a license <laughs> and it's like no I was just I just screwed up this one time but you know there's thousands of people on the road and so you just kind of make these general generalizations and I, I think that's true with the the cities you, I think it's kind of ridiculous to say a city is a friendly city
1: <laughs> it's almost like every small town would have a small town friendly appeal and every large city has a stoic large city like anonymity to it like that's what people go to the city for they're less interested in everybody knowing their business and and like the the you know the hustle and bustle of it so yeah i guess it is kind of disingenuous to say it's like "Eh, it's it's the friendly city no it's just a city so it probably falls in line with what most cities are like to to your point jj however when you when you did when you did say something the first point that you brought up was the walking and then you brought up the mountains and the bill like it's a city but there's also like you're right there with the mountains That I think in a nutshell would be, if I were to put one together, that would be it. If my limited experience with Vancouver, I love the fact that like, it's crazy outdoorsy and you feel like you could like be camping here on the uh, fringe of forever. And then you literally turn your head and you see a massive skyline and commerce and all the stores and shopping and dining that you'll ever (laughs) do. We do, we do have a very big
2: uh, urban beach as well, which I feel like is something that is quite unique. I mean, I'm, I, you know, I mean, it's not like Miami or something, but as far as sort of like Canada goes, having a large like urban beach where you can be like shopping and hanging out in a very urban environment and then literally just like kind of like walk to the end of one of our major streets. And then you're at a big, like large sandy beach where you can hang out and swim and sunbathe and do all sorts of stereotypical beach activities. Like, that is, I think, pretty distinctive. I think a lot of cities don't have that. And certainly, like, an oceanfront beach in particular that is so adjacent to, like, the downtown core of the city is is something that I I like and I like to show people. So, yeah, it's pretty good. I guess
0: some of the things that you you point out also was, like, public artwork... It's not really unique. Every city has public artwork and everybody thinks that it's, I, you had a video a while back too, on how you, like you were just mentioning about how every town thinks that they have this one quirky thing that they do. And I've seen a number of bumper stickers that say, you know, keep blank weird yes keep yes, portland yes. weird keep fairfax weird keep berkeley weird and so everybody they love to think that their city is just like oh we're just quirky quirky and fun <laughs> yes mm-hmm. can, uh, can uh, we acknowledge <laughs> that portland actually i believe was the
1: first to kind of do that with all fairness to portland i think yeah, they did that's, kind of i remember yeah. the tv show keep, keep portlandia keep quirky, right? yeah, portlandia no
2: there, right. there are definitely some cities that kind of set the tone and then it becomes so widely emulated that it kind of becomes diffused and you know, but it's true. It's like I, I was in Portland, not for very long, but I went there uh, uh, for like a couple of days, uh, a couple of years ago. And it was like when I was in Portland, I was kind of like, oh, this is what all of these other cities are trying to do. You know, I felt the same way when I went to New York City for the first time. And it was just kind of like, oh, OK, like this is kind of the model that everyone else yeah. is trying to emulate. There is a sort of authenticity that I think. And I think San Francisco has this this vibe as well. Like there's a few mm-hmm. big cities that have legitimately been very influential in sort of shaping kind of like urban culture on this continent. Yeah. But yeah, mostly they're few and far between.
0: Portland's just copying San Francisco. That's all. You
1: think so? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> San
0: Francisco was quirky before it was cool to be quirky. Mm. That's very true. Chad, did you do any shopping for Prime Day, the new holiest of all holy days? <laughs> No,
1: Steve, cuz I'm not going <laughs> to let Amazon tell me when I should buy something.
0: Well, now it's like it's like this 3-day thing, but it's it, I, I don't know why this year for some reason it seemed like every influencer in the world was jumping on board with this thing and it just, it got to the point where I'm thinking, "Wow, this is like the new Black Friday except it's just one company and everybody's promoting their affiliate stuff on <laughs> get yeah. your 20%, you know, here's the deal of the week on Prime Day and I discovered there's this, this anti-influencer movie movement or the de-influencers, but it starts, it's with like beauty and makeup realm, but it's not kind of what I thought it was. I thought it was going to be more just anti-influencer, but it's really what they do is they just kind of are publicly complaining about products they don't like rather than, than oh, <laughs> products is what it is? They, they do like. But I, I would kind of like to, to see this thing fleshed out more into a, a more cohesive movement of de-influencing,
1: I, but isn't like to JJ's point about mentioning the uh, the real estate agents who now make the ten. 10- things that you don't want to or like whatever because they exhausted the 10 things that you're going to love about tampa bay so now no one wants to watch that so now it's it's literally it just goes to the complete opposite or is that just me
0: yeah it's easier to click on things you don't want to do and things you don't like
1: and now that's appealing now like now that's the thing that you want to hold and then that is the thing that becomes the new I was thinking about this the other day, and sorry to detract the conversation, but we were talking about doing something. I don't remember what it was off the top of my head, but... Melissa didn't wanna do it because she brought up one specific example of an extraordinary case, which she read about where there was, you know, whatever, this example happened and this is whatever, so let's not kind of do this thing. And I started thinking a lot about how polarizing we are now where it's like, you will hear one thing and that's just, that's all you want. That's the one thing I know. San Francisco has too much traffic, so I'm not here for anything else. That's what I'm gonna literally, you know, base a decision on. And we we kind of seem very quick to just like hear the one kind of thing. And then like that establishes it. I brought up the Richard Gere hamster and the bum example (laughs) a long time ago where it's like, if something is said enough, it sounds compelling. But now we kind of live in a world where like that just instantly kind of becomes. Well, I think we also,
0: because, and especially with older people because they're so tuned into Facebook, they hear these things, posted from they think are friends who are just sharing these things and so it's almost like a friend is telling you this this information which holds more weight to them
1: but it ended up not i remember sharing people sharing on facebook it's like oh if you see someone pulled over on the side of the road and their hazards are blinking and their hood's up and one hubcap is off that is mean they're going to rape you (laughs) and chop you up (laughs) so people were like don't if someone's on the side of the road and they have their hazards on don't and that's, I guess, kind of what I'm getting at. This, these small pieces of information just kind of get out there and then like it affects everything.
2: I mean, I think that there is also a, a marked phenomenon we're seeing, which is kind of a sort of tall poppy syndrome kind of sort of phenomenon, where it's like anytime anything is remotely successful or remotely popular in any way, or even just like remotely sort of ubiquitous, like when something's very common, there is a huge appetite to see that thing taken down, right? And I think yeah. it it doesn't matter if there's maybe only like one flaw or whatever, or if it's like quite hard to muster a persuasive case against it, like people just have an, an endless sort of salivary appetite to see things brought down a peg and I could see like de-influencing being a popular sort of trend in that way like there's this one channel I think it's a fellow who's based here in Vancouver actually who's made just kind of a a whole life of just making uh, videos that are just like the real story behind X and why X is bad and it's just like he just goes through like sequentially through basically like every product every famous brand every you know why this is problematic why this is bad and a lot of time the cases are not overly persuasive or, or you don't kind of get the sense that the uh the balance of power is or not the balance of power sort of like the equation like the the flaws versus minuses are, are kind of like outweighed by the latter but nevertheless like we just like that kind of stuff like critical takes are just much more engaging it's like here's a good example actually uh steve i was reading i, I for some reason it popped up on um on my uh on my phone that like you do a lot of uh, reviews google reviews of places and oh, right. so i was actually scrolling through it and i was just like oh steve gives so many positive reviews that's not
0: fun where's, <laughs> where's the bitchy
2: content
0: that's what that's what gets my dopamine firing you know <laughs> yeah it's true i mean that's why you could sort by rating on imdb or anything else because you kind of want to read those trash reviews <laughs>
1: but something has to become really popular before it like it has to go 15 minutes into everybody like like Elon Musk has to be considered the most brilliant person in the world before he becomes the biggest you know the worst person in the world so like it why are we so dumb, J.J., is, I guess, <laughs> essentially what I'm trying to <laughs> I don't know. It's
2: just, I think it's just, I think there's just something about human nature. I mean, you know, there's a, there's the famous quote, uh, the famous little speech that the food critic gives in, in Ratatouille, which has been much shared, where he just kind of, like, talks about how, like, critical stuff is fun to make and it's fun to read. And it just satisfies us in, in a way that, you know, positive content doesn't. Right, like, and I think it also it's fun to read and fun to write in a way because I think we uh, believe, and I talked about this a bit in my recent video on anti-Americanism, that like being being cynical or being jaded or even being like very sort of like extreme in your critical rhetoric about anything it often reads as a sign of being kind of like world-weary and like getting it in a kind of like deeper way that shows that you're not like these sheep-like normies mm. who just follow the crowd and are just propagandized and you know obey what the corporations and the advertisers and the government and whatever want you to think and so you know obviously it's important to be a critical thinker to some degree But I I do think that we've sort of embraced a culture that is critical thinking in just a kind of like very sort of lazy kind of clout chasey way because we think it makes us a more interesting person if we're just always sort of affecting, in what is many cases, I think, a very ignorant uh, disposition of of critical uh, engagement with the world around us.
0: When, When people are arguing their case for something, it seems like anymore it's no longer kind of. That discussion of well, here's kind of what I think about this, and here's what you know you might think about it. But it seems like our goal is always like we've got to convert the other person Get to them what on our we're team. thinking. It's like, and that's mm. not going to happen in a lot of cases. It's just like, I'm not going to convince you of you know, especially a political opinion of whatever I have. So it just ends up with this this back and forth fighting rather than even an argument or a debate. Yeah,
2: yeah, De- destroying the uh the bad person is is much more like you don't often sort of see videos where it's like ben shapiro convinces his opponent (laughs) you know (laughs) why conservatism is great right no it's just always like destroy them it's like you
0: reduce Uh, them you make them
2: into a gibbering mess and and then you just kind of like dust your hands and walk off and that's what sort of success looks like in 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 sort of our modern uh
1: culture which is unfortunate but it's not about me being right it's about you being so wrong that you're crying and i'm drinking your tears (laughs) yeah Yeah. i i don't want to like do the like blame social media but it really seemed to um present itself as a real issue when context kind of like people just you know reading a clip of thing uh, of something forming an opinion of it and then that just being forged into the person's you know uh, personality moving forward even though it's just like some small little thing that they read or again the example of now that you can go on twitter and see this one example of this one extreme case of this one kind of thing and then be like oh i don't want to get on a plane again because did you see that yeah, video of the plane crowd oh my gosh do you know how many and then we build up and then you go to the comments and you read the other person goes, there was this other person and they had a brother who yeah and then it kind of turns into that and you you, you start getting comfort by surrounding yourself with like an echo chamber of people who are literally saying the same things you almost kind of stop looking for something to tell you otherwise or to grow on yeah no
0: i'm i'm just gonna keep all of my conversations over on threads threads on. <laughs> threads, You're on you, threads either, guys, either of you guys yeah. get
2: threads and it's, it's funny you say this actually because like i have become aware uh chad of uh, of my own propensity to be a kind of uh bitchy critical, cynical, one-liner-spouting, always-has-to-have-the-last-word kind of person on Twitter. And to the point where, like, people will sometimes and say this to me, and it's actually kind of a little bit upsetting, where it's like they'll sort of say, like, oh, JJ, like, on, on YouTube you seem so upbeat and jolly and friendly and stuff, but on Twitter you just seem very, like, nasty and angry and bitter and all this kind of thing. And then so it's kind of like, okay, maybe there's some truth to that. So. I've been using threads to try to be a little bit more upbeat and a little bit more optimistic in in sort of the kind of content I uh, make and the opinions I share. I don't know how successful I've been. I kind of feel like I'm already sort of drifting more into my old habits on threads. But I think that that was sort of something that people were initially praising threads a lot for, which is that like the vibe seems much more positive. People seem more happy. It doesn't seem like as much of a sort of toxic cesspool of negativity, but you know, I don't know to what degree that was anything to do with any inherent qualities of threads and more just that people were probably feeling like me, that just the kind of breath of fresh air and sort of just getting out of Twitter was itself a kind of emancipatory uh, feeling that can't help but lift your spirits. Do you think it's just going to devolve into Twitter? Uh, if it continues. I mean, this is the thing, though. It's like the the I'm already seeing all this press where it's like the threads bump is over, like threads, you know, was getting like 100 million subs in,
1: in a day. See? And now it's like plummeted and. Look how quickly! Like, look how quickly! <laughs> Two days in, and all of the things were hundred million. We're talking, it, and now they're already. Oh, uh, it's done. It's done. Yeah, we're yeah done yeah, with yeah. it. We're already over it. We're over. Because well, it. it's, it's the same thing. It's, it it's like the
2: <laughs> same thing I was talking about before, right? It's like, and it's like tall poppy syndrome. It's like threads seem to be doing good for a very brief period of time. It was getting good press, and so suddenly there becomes this huge appetite to see threads taken down a peg, right? right. Nothing <laughs> yeah. can be successful. Nothing can enjoy good press for a prolonged period of time. So long. Yeah. Right.
1: Until <laughs> so people are out for blood.
0: Yeah, I haven't, I haven't, I'm not going to do it. I'm not on Twitter either. I, I quit Twitter for a reason. And There's no reason for me just to <laughs> redo that. Although I did have to, you know, what's weird is I had to sign up for a Twitter account the other day, um, even though I had an old one. But now I guess with the newer Twitter, it didn't save my old stuff. So I just logged in using my Google because I just needed one bit of information. There was a, I was watching the last drive in and it wasn't streaming for some reason. This was a live thing. I'm like, is this just me or is this? And I thought, well, I'll go to the Twitter and that's uh, to see what the, what the problem is. But that's the only reason, but I had to sign up for Twitter. And that was the first time in years I've actually looked at Twitter, but now I've deleted the app again. (laughs) Oh, see, I I got that one bit of information. I'm like, okay, now I know it was, they're having problems.
1: I was going to say you should have shared your handle, and then people could have friended you I don't even Twitter. remember what it is. <laughs> I mean,
0: I still have it, but it's, I don't know, it's like Steve Ramsey 28, 29, or I, whatever number they assign assigned to me. But no, I'm not, I don't know, those things don't really, that level of discourse doesn't interest me. I mean, for a while I was doing that, you know, but it's been at least five or six years since I've done Twitter.
1: Twitter used to be my news source. It used to be the best place to follow uh, um, uh, influencer. Uh, not is that influencers? your dog,
2: JJ? No, That's there's the, a dog the in the studio <laughs> who sometimes barks. So uh, yeah, I, I would not voluntarily bring a dog into any place I inhabit. So yeah.
1: after talking about how much he hates
2: pets, so this is my
0: dog I hate all animals.
1: Yeah. <laughs> Uh... You're, you're talking, talking about, about
2: Twitter thread. and why you used to use it oh,
1: for the influencers? Sorry. Yeah, I, I used to, Sorry, I used to use Twitter uh, because uh, the journalists were blue-checked and it was a great, it really just kind of seemed to be the place where you could get news breaking fast and get like a lot of different opinions about it. And I like that rawness of Twitter. However, clearly it and I this is more of a question than a statement, I think it's a lot different now, especially over the past like six months or so. Uh, what, uh, like, do you think part of the interest with threads was because of where twitter is right now specifically
2: yeah no absolutely like that people feel like twitter has gotten into a very sort of like dark place i think or that it's become just dominated by a lot of just really like stupid conversations because like twitter is sort of its own little ecosystem now and this is something i re- really really realize a lot so it's like i'm i am interested in in political debate and sort of the debate of like thought leaders quote unquote but you kind of get the sense that like twitter has now become a sort of world unto itself and there's people that are like thought leaders or influencers in the twitter discourse that bear no uh relevance outside of Twitter. And some of the things that they're having like fiery, intense conversations about in Twitter are just not reflected anywhere else so it's like i remember i once heard a description that i've always liked where it's sort of like in twitter politics like every election is like the 1933 german election so it's like every every conversation is just between fascists and communists and like people are like just having like these incredibly like nuanced like there was sort of like this this whole sort of discourse as i saw when i logged on this morning where it's like some like communist twitter guy who's i guess a like influential guy was talking about how like being able to buy bananas is overrated and like the capitalist system has made us think that like being able to buy bananas is some great thing when really it's just blah 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 blah, blah. but anyway so there's like all this discourse about like being able to buy bananas and why being able to buy bananas is either good or bad and blah 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 and it's just like so not relevant to anything like this is like a whole like again like it's this whole sort of like self-contained little bubble of people who are just wasting their time having irrelevant conversations that only matter in the context of, of uh, of of Twitter itself, and I think that when you get to that point, it's it's hard not to conclude that this is just becoming another just pointless time suck, and that you crave something that's a little bit more meaningful even on its own terms.
1: Can I ask where you get your news from? Like, uh, what what's your go to source? Because you mentioned in. Uh, I- one of your recent videos how like you don't really go to like the cnn website anymore now you kind of rely upon either the cnn twitter feed or something else what what do you what do you do
2: yeah i mean that that is the thing it's like mostly i just get headlines uh through social media Uh, through Twitter. Uh, I do use Twitter, obviously. And um, also like the headlines that sort of pop up on the phone. You know how you have those little widgets on your iPhone that give you headlines. So I have like a widget for the CBC, a widget for the Washington Post, and a widget for the New York Times. And then I also have widgets for like ground news and smart news. And they sort of give me headlines as well. And basically, yeah, I mean, I just kind of click on headlines uh, from these major outlets that pop up, you know, on Twitter, I should say, and on Instagram. Instagram as well. You know, I follow all of the big sort of mainstream credible uh, outlets and, but basically like, you know, yeah, I click on headlines that are interesting to me and I read stories that way. Maybe that's, I mean, I know that that's probably not the best way to consume news. You actually probably should just go to cnn.com or the New York Times main page and sort of see all of the headlines in a kind of like more organic way, more sort of holistic way. But I guess the way I justify it is that by following a lot of news sites on social media, I am sort of like being forced to look at headlines and, you know, whether or not I click on them and read the full stories is another question. But I I do think it's important to be sort of a passive consumer in some way, like to just have a sort of steady stream of stuff like I've often kind of thought that like you know what we should bring back is like news tickers I sometimes wish yeah. that there was just like a thing I could just look at on the wall and just like see the headlines scroll by you know just so I I have no I, I listen to the radio a lot as well because I think that too also has a good uh, a good thing you know every morning I listen to the CBC and the NPR hmm. uh headlines you know they do both NPR and CBC do like an hourly sort of news roundup and I listen to that which I think is good so yeah, it's it's but like, I mean, I guess a controversial take I have is that like you should just consume mainstream media stuff like at the end of the day, like CBC and New York Times and Washington Post and sort of the Canadian press and the Associated Press, like, you know, they've got their flaws, no doubt. But I mean, it's the best that we have to offer, like I think in terms of the most serious journalism that's being done by the most sort of professional people with the highest standards.
0: Yeah, because whenever you hear somebody saying like, well, just do your research, it's always because they're referring to some crackpot with a Twitter account or a website or something. It's like, well, what kind of validity is that?
1: And now research involves like, oh, it's a Google search for this particular. And now you're at the mercy of what Wikipedia is going to serve you. when people
0: say Google it, they mean Wikipedia. Yeah, they do mean
1: Wikipedia. I remember a while ago... um, I, I used to read the article and then I would be, I run down to the comments to hear what everybody else had to t- like their perspective on it. And then I remember then a lot of large news sources were like, let's stop with these yeah. comments. Cause it's starting to like, so it kind of seemed like all of those people just moved over on social media so therefore they could keep doing their con uh, comments but now what's getting lost is like actually people taking the time to read an article that's one of the biggest issues i have with reddit i would love to trust reddit to be that source for me the aggregator of things that are interesting however i'm at the mercy of whatever you know those algorithms look like and we are far away from like the morning paper coming and then that's how you get your news and it's like a one-way exchange it's not this exchange where it's like nah, I need further perspective on this and I used to laugh at talk radio because they'd, they'd be like the opinions behind the news stories that matter to you and I always found that like presumptuous it's because like you don't know what my assumptions or whatever it is and I found out how quickly my opinion would be tainted just by listening to a compelling comment from someone else and then it's like now i'm not reading the facts and figuring it out now i'm kind of like it's being sullied by someone else's opinion and whatnot so that that thing, ends up sucking the thing i struggle with a lot as well on that note is just
2: like how reflective are comments of sort of broader society right like because For example, like, I follow a lot of, like, uh, some of these sort of conservative uh, politicians, you know, the Republicans, say, that are running for for president against Donald Trump, just because I like to sort of stay abreast of this kind of thing, right? And so, for example, like, uh, Mike Pence, you know, who's running against Trump, in theory, he recently posted a video on his Instagram page where it's like, you know, I'm going to, you know, stand with Israel, right? You know, very mainstream sort of Republican perspective, and you can take it or leave it as far as politics go. But it's like, when you're reading the comments, it just, all these like anti-Semites who are just like oh why do you like Israel you're a traitor to America the Jewish lobby has you in their pocket blah 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 and it's like all the comments are like that and it's like obviously like the Republican Party as troubled as it may be I do not believe is dominated by like Israel hating people at all and yet if you were to look at the comments thread to a prominent Republican politician that's all you're getting and so like that can really kind of like just warp your perspective and I think this is true on a whole host of stories like you just look at stories and you look at the type of people that are responding to those stories and they might seem very passionate their opinions might be overwhelmingly in one direction and then so it's easy to kind of think like oh the public is really uh you know the the people are really of one mind on this issue and so that is i think really a bad development in, in the era of social media is that we just are getting so many false positives, so many mixed messages, so much noise, I guess you could say and it's just harder than ever I think to just understand you know w- not only like where the truth lies but sort of like where your fellow man is and that's so important in a demo- in a democracy. you know social media was promised to be a great democratizing medium but instead it just seems like it amplifies the voices of the most passionate who actually might be the least representative.
1: And putting them on, like, literally on the same platform with, like, a, an established journalist who went and did all this research versus the top comment, which has 250 likes, so therefore, whatever. Yes, and yes. it's that person who's like, oh, I read this one random thing in the thing, and it defeats this one point, so therefore I have no interest in any of what you have to say. One of the reasons why it's... Um, Uh, noticeable maybe for me and perhaps you guys as well is because on the other side of the content creation game when you're making content we at least know having people have uh, talk about themselves in the comments is the easiest way to get comments out of people. So whenever we ask a question, it's usually like, hey, what do you guys think? Yes. Do you guys have any tips? Because we will always find that that resonates more, especially when it's like, do you do you make your bed or do you not make your bed? Hmm. It could be the most basic. Frank James is a good example because he uses this community tab and he does polls all the time and they're the most basic of polls. Do you like blonde hair? Or, yes, yes, know, yes. But you'll have people write a whole paragraph.
0: My mother- <laughs> Passionate what, be,
1: about Everybody rolls out their soapbox and stands up, and now it's my time to, to, uh, oh, my mom taught me this, and I've already done that, and I know this because I heard this story from this person, and it's way more. So now you have all these people just literally trying to do the same thing that the writer's doing, but the writer's doing it in uh, trying to share information, which isn't necessarily personalized or opinionized and then you have everybody in the comments just like it's nonstop opinions and like everybody just wanting to talk show off how smart they are about that particular subject so what a useless place to like try to glean further perspective on a on a on an issue about
0: everybody wants to be heard everybody wants to be heard some way or another i guess yeah be- hey chad bef- before we go do you want to hear about mm-hmm. my little social experiment you did a social experiment well, so it just turned out to be this way okay i so you know i, I started this shopify account oh where yeah i'm mm-hmm. selling woodworking plans well i sell like premium plans, $27. And I'm going to be adding more to those as I make Are you using products. the back part of our podcast as an ad for your plans? <laughs> right, it's exactly if it. If you drop a coupon code. What? Shop www.mm.com. <laughs> www. <laughs> so uh, so but the rest of my plans, and this is the social experiment part, are kind of older plans of mine that I've reworked and kind of updated and make them look nice and, and really polished. So I, I'm selling those at a pay-what-you-want pricing scheme because I've always sold, I've always given these away for 15 years. I've just given away free plans. So now they're a little bit nicer. And I, so I have on there zero two dollars $5, $10. So what do you think most people do? How uh, much do you think they pay?
1: I would say the cheapest.
0: The zero?
1: Uh, oh, not this. Go ahead. JJ. I would
2: say, I would think they, they pay more in the middle. Because I feel like people don't like to think of themselves as being poor, so yeah. they wouldn't want to sort of like pay below what they could reasonably afford. But also people don't like to feel like that they're being hustled. So they don't want to pay more than they absolutely right. have to.
0: And they don't want to be a freeloader. So they so the, the most common one is five dollars. So it's not two dollars. It's not ten dollars. And it's not the zero, although, and this is kind of the interesting part that got me thinking about that. That doesn't surprise me. I think if I were to be presented those options, I would probably fall into about that $5 range. I'm like, well, okay, well, you know, it's like a tip. So the people who pay zero, and I get these that come in and they'll usually take, I have like three so far plans that you can get for free if you want. They'll take all three for for zero. And I kind of think, it's interesting because what they're doing is they're placing no value whatsoever on these plans, which makes me think then why would you want something of no value to build if, <laughs> if the thing you make then would, would that have any value? <laughs> and so I don't know, it's, it's like this interesting kind of sort of paradox that people are, are getting this stuff for free saying this is worthless but I'm gonna use it.
2: <laughs> That's really interesting. I never thought of it from that perspective, but that makes that makes perfect sense. It's like, you're literally saying that you're acquiring worthless
0: junk, basically. <laughs> yes. and, yeah. and I want all of the junk, not I just all one of, of the it. junks. Yeah. I want all of the junk. Yeah. I almost wanted to put something on, on the website that has like an explanation of the, my pricing structure and say, if, if you find no value to these, feel free to download them for free.
1: <laughs> yeah um, just be a little, oh.
0: little passive aggressive of it. Yeah. <laughs> if you yeah, exactly. find yeah
1: if you find no value <laughs> but <comma> it's i'm a jerk <laughs> <comma download. laughs> but I've, I've heard this said like
2: i've i've heard it said that because i remember like what was it um radiohead i think some time ago yep. released an album that was like on a pay what you want basis and they were yeah I, I think they sort of said something similar that like the mainstream uh price point was something in the middle. like you would Because like the sort of the cynical person would think like, well, 90% of it would be people getting it for free. Like if you give people an option to get something for free, everybody will take that choice. But no, I mean, like our desire to our willingness to pay is a sort of more psychologically sort of complex phenomenon. And it has to do with our not only our sense of generosity and our sense of what is like fair and proper in a kind of like marketplace, but also our, our kind of like desire to not come off as somebody who's cheap and to not tell ourselves that we're somebody who's sort of like, you know, just leeching the system because that's not who we are and that we actually do have money and that we are willing to pay for for quality and that kind of stuff. So yeah, It sort of
0: reminds me of go to the coffee shop and then they they turn the, the screen over towards you and they'll, they'll be like, uh, just... Uh, Fill out the rest and the the guilt tipping comes up, you know, which is a coffee shop I would normally tip anyway. But when somebody's standing there looking at you and they can see it on their screen, too, on their side of it, they know exactly what you're putting in there. You're going to be putting, you're going to be tipping something. And it it feels
2: like it's the same thing, right? Because it it feels like it's like a a funnel that's leading you towards one very specific option because there's always like, I mean, I know in in this country we don't tip as much as they do in America, but like in this country, you know, I feel like the three options, it's it's always like 10%, 15% or 18%. Mm -hmm. And so I feel like a lot of people are like, well, 18 seems a little generous, but I'm not (laughs) some 10% cheapo. So obviously I'm going to go for the middle option, right? Like this is like, I think a very common sort of psychological phenomenon where we're Inclined to do the reasonable centrist option,
0: but then the, there, there's the option of no tip, and yeah, then you no got to click that, well. and then you yeah, like hide yeah. your head and That's hey, the shame. "I'm yeah. sorry, it's a little frowny." <laughs> We're gonna face. spit in your coffee now. <laughs> <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, I wasn't I wasn't tipping Starbucks people before, so now that you can program it on your uh, debit machine, yeah. I'm not tipping now. I'm sorry to say, uh, there is actually one barista or whatever that works at the Starbucks and they have the every single time they thing that it has the tip thing and he will always zero it out and enter before he hands the or before he flips the thing around to show that he does not want to tip so i respect oh, that interesting I, yeah. I
0: think that to me it's sort of like if a person is doing something they're preparing something that it's sort of that's tip worthy i guess but if they're just like if i were to go to a coffee shop and just buy a bag of coffee beans i wouldn't tip for that yeah, yeah.
1: if you refilled my water and like you brought some cutlery over it like you did a serving job, but just like you're behind a counter and you, you just need to. I have a feeling
0: out. eventually it's just there's going to be like tipping options at the self checkout at the supermarket. You know, uh,
2: <laughs> you know, tipping, tipping discourse among a sort of like white middle aged men is like the most boring discourse in the world. But I will say that I have one, one more, one more take to offer to the pile. My my biggest sort of tipping uh, anxiety is always like, do you ever have this phenomenon where it's like you buy something, like you buy a coffee. And then you pay and you tip and all the rest of it. And then it just suddenly occurs to you oh, actually, I would also like a uh, you know a croissant or something and then so you have to make like a second immediate Mm. after transaction and that always feels like weird to tip in that case like to do it particularly when it's something like even like dumber like a pack of gum or something where they're literally just handing you something because then it's like you tip for like i feel like the tipping is for like the main the main event not for like a quick little (laughs) thoughtless gesture you do immediately you've already
0: completed (laughs) the main transaction it's like it's only an extra nickel it's like it's like when you it's like when you you've already said goodbye to somebody and then you yes. both end up walking the same direction. <laughs> yes, yes, precisely. You're like, oh, well now it's just weird, you know? So you
1: intentionally walk the other way and like walk around the block just yes. so you don't have yes. to do that awkward walk with someone?
0: Yeah. JJ, it's great to have you on the show. You're welcome anytime you want. I yes. love it.
2: Of all the podcasts I do,
0: this is my favorite.